You're listening to episode 25 of The Kin Show. Thanks for tuning in. Today's a special episode all about the Enneagram, plus an interview with the creators of the amazingly popular Instagram account, Just My Enneatype, run by Liz Carver and Josh Green. Now, let's get back to that whole Enneagram thing. You might be thinking, what the Ennea what? It's a funny word, I know. And up until a few months ago, I was right there with you thinking, I have no clue what that word means. And I know 99% of you out there are probably thinking the same thing. But don't worry, I got you covered. I'm going to explain the Enneagram from start to finish in this podcast episode. Just kidding. That's way too much information. I'm going to do Enneagram 101 a summary of sorts of what the Enneagram is, and then we'll jump into the conversation with Josh and Liz of Just My Enneatype, which I'm super excited to share. Now, you might be thinking, okay, she'll explain the Enneagram, but like, does this have anything to do with me? Yes, it does. The Enneagram is life-changing, and I am not exaggerating. Every single person that I introduce to the Enneagram is mind-blown. I just... Had it happen this morning when I had coffee with one of my best friends, introduced her to the Enneagram, and she went down the rabbit hole trying to figure out her type, her, you know, romantic interest type, and like all this stuff and how it can help her in her life. All these kind of interesting things. The Enneagram will change your life and your relationships for the better. Almost guaranteed. (laughs) So I'm really excited to share with you what the Enneagram is and this amazing conversation with Josh and Liz of Just My Enneatype. So, what do you say? Let's do it. You're listening to The Kin Show, where we explore the intricacies of the human heart, faith, relationships, spirituality, parenthood, and more, celebrating our journeys as seekers. We believe in love, in giving more of it to every person we interact with and to ourselves. We believe in living with intention for our children for our communities, and most importantly, for ourselves. We believe we are all one family, one kin, kindred spirits loved unconditionally by God. And we believe it's more important to actually know God than to just know about God. Seeker, writer, photographer, your host, Marcella Tremoro, shares perhaps way too many personal stories and asks you the right questions to help you uncover what's best for your life. This is not our practice life, so let's make the most of it. Are you ready to hear inspiring interviews and coffee table chats with Marcella? Grab a cup of coffee and prepare to transform your definition of your dream life. Here's your host, boy band lover and master of deep conversations, Marcella Chamorro. All right, so today we're talking about the Enneagram on this podcast episode, and I'm really excited to share it with you. But I'm not going to lie, a little intimidated by explaining this in as short amount of time as possible, so stick with me. Now, the Enneagram is kind of like a personality test, but also not. Maybe like a personality test with soul, I guess. It's, you know, you know your Myers-Briggs or strengths finders, like you know you've taken quizzes online or been given a test at work or at school, all with a bunch of like 40 to more questions, but different types of questions about yourself and you're expected to answer as honestly as possible in the hopes that it'll help you understand yourself better. You know, what kind of job you should be looking for, what kind of person you are, etc. The Enneagram is a little different. It's a little different. The purpose is always to understand yourself and to be able to improve yourself, right? And during the interview that I'll get to with Liz and Josh of Just My Enneatype, they will explain how different it is from the other different personality tests that you know about. It is profoundly different. By definition, the Enneagram is, and I quote, a model of the human psyche, kind of understood and taught as a typology of nine interconnected personality types. You're going to hear about these nine types a lot because they're the backbone of the Enneagram. Nine types. So imagine a circle with numbers around it, kind of like a clock, except instead of a one through 12 on the clock, you have one through nine, the nine types of the Enneagram. And the Enneagram assesses you as one of these nine types. So every single person is one of these types. 
And each of these types has a unique set of personality traits, strengths, and weaknesses. So you might be a type one, I might be a type two, your husband might be a type three, your mom might be a type four. But basically the Enneagram says that there are nine types of people. Each of these nine types has their own nicknames and titles. You know, you might have heard of people talking about themselves as a type three or a type five, like a type and then a number, one through nine. They're probably talking about the Enneagram. And sometimes it's easy once you know the Enneagram and know the nine types pretty well, you can kind of like type people. You know, I know my dad's a type X and my mom's a type Y and my brother might be this one and, and all that stuff. But you might be thinking like, what's the point? What's the point of knowing your Enneagram type? Well, the idea is it can help you in business. It can help you in your relationships. It can help you in everything. It basically helps you understand yourself. More importantly, understand your tendencies, your weaknesses, how you tend to act when things are going well, and also how you tend to act when things are going south. And, you know, in business contexts, a lot of times the Enneagram or other personality tests are used to gain insights into like, you know, interpersonal dynamics, how to get people to work better together, coworkers and so on. But its spirituality is more commonly presented as a path to higher states of being, essence and enlightenment. And that's a quote, you know, it helps in self-awareness, self-understanding and self-development. I personally am not using this from a business standpoint. I use it more on an interpersonal, spiritual standpoint, right? To, to improve myself, to improve the way that I interact with the world, interact with the people around me and show them more love. And it helps me to understand my weaknesses and when I, how I tend to mess up. And it is spot on. Not only is it spot on for me, but when I do research on the types that the people around me might be, let's say my husband, it helps me understand his tendencies as well and how we kind of mesh together. And then when you read up on my type and his type in a marriage and they describe the dynamic, it is uncanny how spot on it really is. Now I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the nine different Enneagram types. Okay. One through nine. Type one is the reformer, the rational, idealistic type, principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionist. Type two is the helper, the caring, interpersonal type, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. Type three is the achiever, very success-oriented, pragmatic type, will adapt to different settings, focused on excelling, driven, and very image-conscious. Type four is the individualist, the sensitive withdrawn type, sometimes called the romantic, expressive and dramatic, self-absorbed and temperamental. Type five is the investigator, the intense cerebral type, perceptive, innovative, secretive and isolated, lives in their head. Type six is the loyalist, the committed, security-oriented type, very engaging, but very responsible, anxious and suspicious. Type seven is the enthusiast, the busy, fun-loving type, spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered. I have a lot to say during, about this <laughs> type seven in our interview. Type eight is the challenger, the powerful, dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. I also have a lot to say about eights in our interview coming up. And type nine is the peacemaker, the easygoing, self-effacing type, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. So that is a very, very quick run through the nine types. See, when I was first learning about the nine types, I could see myself mentally typing people. Like I said, my dad is X. My friend is an eight. Obviously, this is all my own perception of them. They may end up being a totally different type but I was mentally placing them based on my experiences with them. I could be way off, but maybe not so much. But the truth is that it takes work to really get to know your true type, what number you really are. Sometimes I still waver on which number I am. Now, there are tests online. You can take the Enneagram Institute test for $12, and that was great. There's a, f a lot of them that are free, so you know you don't have to pay. You can also just read through the descriptions 
of the nine types and try and figure out where you find yourself best described, right? But each of the nine types has a few differences within it. So like I said, it's like a clock. Instead of one through 12, it runs one through nine on a circle. And the wings, this is a very Enneagram term, the wings are a number that lies on either side of you. So if I'm a type two, next to the two, there's a one on one side and a three on the other, right? So most twos either have a little bit of a tendency to lean toward the one or have a tendency to lean toward a three. So that is your wing. And I'll talk about my experience with that, but just so you know, I'm a two wing three because I have a lot of the descriptions of a type two that is my number, but I also have a lot of the... the three, the achiever in me. Now I'll get to that in a second, but so that's your wing. And then you have within each number, an unhealthy, an average or a healthy kind of rating, let's say, depending on your personal growth and evolution, you may be at one end of the spectrum in the management of your type or the other. So if you're a very unhealthy eight, you're going to be, that's the challenger, very confrontational. You're going to be lashing out at people. When you're an average eight, let's say, you're going to be using your power and you're challenging in a different way, in a more positive way. But if you're a very healthy eight, you're going to be using your strength and your confrontational abilities to better the situations that you're in at work or at home or whatever. You're going to be very much a protector and strong in a positive way without negatively affecting the people around you. So that would be, you know, an example of unhealthy, average, and healthy within your number type. I know this is getting kind of technical. Anyway, how about we stop all the technical terms and I tell you my story. In all transparency, when I was reading through the types for the first time, I found myself cringing at a lot of it. Like, could that really be me? Like someone hide me and put me away if I'm that terrible. But that's the beautiful part of the Enneagram. I mean, we don't really need anyone to reinforce the good things we already know about ourselves. We need some loving guidance into the waters of, I didn't know I was so horrible, you know? And Through some testing and reading up on the descriptions of the different types, I realized that I'm an Enneagram type two with a three wing, like I said, and pretty healthy on the whole. So I'll tell you a little bit about the two. Type two is the helper. That's my main type. And the type three is the achiever, which is my wing or my secondary type, you could say. Sometimes I think I'm actually more of an achiever than a helper, but the more I read about these descriptions and I reflect on the differences... I think my true identity is the helper, but there's a lot of achiever in me as well. Type twos are empathetic, sincere, and warm-hearted. They're friendly, generous, self-sacrificing. They can also be sentimental, flattering, and people-pleasing. They're well-meaning and driven to be close to others, but can slip into doing things for others in order to be needed. They typically have problems with possessiveness and with acknowledging their own needs. At their best... Twos can be unselfish and altruistic, and they have unconditional love for others. So the basic fear of a type two, like me, is of being unwanted, unworthy of being loved. So the basic desire is to feel loved. And the Enneagram two with a three wing is kind of, is called the host or the hostess, which kind of is funny because here I am hosting this podcast. (laughs) I don't really like having people over at my house, though, so I don't know about that, but that's what it's called. The key motivations for a type two are to be loved, to express their feelings for others, to be needed and appreciated, to get others to respond to them, to vindicate their claims about themselves. And according to Wikipedia, the the type two's holy idea is freedom. And guess what? I've never done well for working with anyone else. I really love being on my own and setting my own rules and schedule. And freedom is a big theme in my life. So that resonates. But I'm also a very healthy two in that I don't deny my needs. You know, I'm actually a very strong proponent of self-care. I make sure everyone around me knows when I need my alone time, when I need to exercise, when I want something for myself. I'm very good at refueling my tank and telling people when I need to do that. It's extremely important for me as a two to have strong boundaries. 
because it's easy for me to slip into a slightly codependent relationship with friends. And I need to stay strong in being able to say no. This is particularly a struggle with friendships where I somehow become the advice giver. And I grow to feel like the focus is always on the other person in conversations and time that we spend together. And I'm obligated to help, help, help where nobody helps me. It's a, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. In stress, type twos like me tend to go to type eight, kind of revert to, instead of being a two, you start acting more like a type eight. Type eight is the challenger, which I think was a dominant force in my life for a while. Clearly, now I know there were times of stress. So my family up to a few years ago would probably describe me as an eight, very strong-willed and confrontational. My husband would probably agree that I have some eight qualities when we're not doing well. But in general, I think I've evolved over the years. Like, thank you, God, for that. (laughs) And I'll talk much more about eights in the interview, so watch out for that because it's hilarious. But in security or in good times, let's say, type twos like me tend to go revert to a type four, which is the romantic, the individualist. And I'd say that that piece of me is very strong lately. Like just ask my kids and how much I am always telling them how much I love them and expressing my emotions to them all the time. And with the whole individualistic thing, like hello with the Freddie Mercury obsession and how himself he was. Like, can you see where this is coming from? You know, so I'm very in touch with my emotions, with my loving feelings and also in embracing myself as I am. Weird clothes, overalls, different interests and all. I am who I am and I'm down for it. So in short, healthy twos are the embodiment of like the good parent, they say, that everybody wishes they had. Somebody who sees them as they are, understands them with immense compassion, helps and encourages them with patience, and always willing to lend a hand. That is me for my closest circle. You can ask my friends that, you know, I'm probably, I'm that person for them. And my kids, hopefully... Hopefully these people say this, but honestly, I had a friend tell me last week, like with tears that they're so grateful that I make them feel like they belong. So I think I, (laughs) I feel okay saying that with my closest group of friends, that is me. But of course, twos have a lot of weaknesses. Like I said, I have to make sure to tone down the type eight tendencies when I have stressful moments happening. I have to make sure that I rein in the need to always help other people and put myself last. You know, it's very easy for me to say yes when I shouldn't. And so the type twos have very positive uh, qualities, very negative qualities as well. Good pros and cons on every single number. And that's the important thing to know about the Enneagram. You're going to find really beautiful things and really scary things on every single number because guess what? We're human. We're like that. We have the light and the dark. So while this was a ton about me, which was fun for me to research, but it's also kind of embarrassing to share here because, duh, like weaknesses, but also because I want this podcast to be helpful for you, not just me. But it's important to use me as an example to walk you through it so you can get a glimpse of what it's like to discover the type that you are and kind of walk through what it means for your life and how it can improve your life. So in summary, before we jump into this interview, which is so much fun. The Enneagram is a framework to understand ourselves using nine different types. Each of us falls under a different number. I'm a type two. You might be any number, one through nine. And each type has a different set of qualities and weaknesses. And they all vary. And the point of discovering your type is to better understand yourself and hopefully through self-awareness and reflection, improve your relationships with others and approach the world with more love and compassion. Now, there's so much more that I could share about the Enneagram, so much. I learn more every single day. I actually just bought a book today on the Enneagram because I want to dive deeper. But I wanted to give you that intro before we dive into this conversation with Josh Green and Liz Carver of Just My Enneatype, which is an amazing account on Instagram. And I'm constantly learning more through their account. So I'm really excited to share this interview with you today because we really dive deep and I get to ask them a bunch of questions about the Enneagram that I've had for a while. And not only just about the Enneagram, but about their Instagram account, like what caused them to create this account? What inspired them to create such beautiful, beautiful depictions of what the Enneagram is in each number? How do they stay motivated and inspired to create new things all the time? It's so creative. And 
honestly, the interview was hilarious and so much fun. So I'm really excited to share it with you. How about let's dive in right now and learn more about the Enneagram with Josh and Liz. And at the end of the episode, they will share more resources. If you are interested in the Enneagram, honestly, mind blown. If you check it out, it's so cool. Their Instagram is an awesome way to learn more about it. And it's so beautiful. P.S. And then at the end of the episode, like I said, they'll share more stuff. So without further ado, here's my interview with Josh Green and Liz Carver of the Instagram account, Just My Enneatype. Welcome to the Kin Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for having us. You know, Josh and Liz, um, on the Kin Podcast, we talk about all things like heart, you know, ranging from like parenthood to faith to relationships pain and joy alike. And most of the time, no matter if we're talking about on an episode about like, you know, maybe building a child's self-esteem or maybe in another episode, navigating a suffering friendship or maturing your relationship with God. I mean, all of which are like absolutely no joke. There's always kind of this underlying focus on somehow improving or working on how we interact with the outside world, you know, kind of like bringing more love to our interactions, you know? And when I came across this thing called the Enneagram, it absolutely blew my mind. Like my mind exploded because it made so much sense to me, not only in getting to know myself, but other people, kind of like a framework for relationships, I guess. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about each of you and how you all came to discover the Enneagram and, you know, grow your relationship with it. I don't know who wants to go first. Liz, Liz, you want to take this first? (laughs) I will. Sure. Yeah. So the beginning of my relationship with Enneagram was kind of roundabout. Um, I had a a couple of people. My mom was probably the first person who introduced me to it. She was at, she was doing her seminary training at Bethel University in Minnesota. And they had, I think it was during her seminary training, they had all of their students take the Enneagram and she, she made our entire family take the Enneagram test. And so at this point, you know, I thought of it sort of like Myers-Briggs or Strengths Finder. It was a test that you take and that was sort of it. And that was probably maybe 10 years ago. About seven years ago, I was working in a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and a good friend of mine, Brandon, um, again, sent me a link to a test and I took the test and I kind of thought no more of it. But Three or four years ago, I was in seminary myself, and I was taking a class on vocation. And as a part of that course, we learned about the Enneagram. We learned about these tools, not as tests that we take, but as um, as as frameworks for understanding the world around us. And what I really loved about the Enneagram is that, you know, a lot of tests, uh, a lot of personality typing systems will, they are more like tests. Uh, they kind of put you in a box and then they sort of tell you what you're like. And I, and I love personality typing systems. I've always loved StrengthsFinder. I've loved Myers-Briggs. I loved that for probably 12 years uh, before I found the Enneagram. But I always felt like the Myers-Briggs was, um, was kind of putting a full stop at the end of the sentence. It was, it was telling me, you are an INTJ. And I really related to that. I am an INTJ. And I liked everything that it told me about me and it made a lot of sense. But I was in my 20s at the time and I felt like, well, shouldn't I, shouldn't there be more than this? Shouldn't, shouldn't there be some growth? I mean, I feel like I'm growing exponentially in my 20s. I'm maturing greatly. I'm experiencing, you know, some of those things that you were talking about, the dark sides of life. And I'm, I'm grieving and I'm growing and I'm changing. Shouldn't there be more to this than that? And when I discovered the Enneagram, I think that's when I realized, oh, this is not a test. This is not... Um, you know, there is no full stop at the end of the sentence. This is more like an ellipsis. This is, this is a continuation. There is growth built right into the diagram itself with these lines. Um, but beyond that, I think it's an invitation to grow and an invitation to, um, to be transformed. So I I think, you know, I had, I had all of these, um, you know, 10 years ago experiences with the Enneagram, but None of them really stuck until, honestly, probably until I was ready for it. And I was in one of those places myself where I really, I was looking for a tool to help me grow and help me transform. What about you, Josh? 
Yeah, so I also came to know the whole personality systems through through Myers Briggs probably when I was when I was really young, maybe like thirteen or fourteen, I think, and that was language that I used a lot and was really, really helpful for me for better part of almost 10 years, I think. But uh, when I came on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a Christian ministry that works with college students all across the United States, um, during my whole first year, I would hear coworkers talk a lot about this Enneagram thing and what, you know, what their, their, what their numbers are uh, and what that means. And it seemed really confusing and complicated because you know, I was used to the Myers-Briggs type framework, and that was something that everybody, you know, everybody knew, everybody understood. Um, but it was towards the end of my first year, um, so this is about like three and a half years ago, when um, an older um, uh, spiritual formation director, um, who was in her late 60s at the time, she would talk to a bunch of us about the, this tool called the Enneagram. And uh, she at first talked about it a lot in terms of the triads, um, the head, heart, and gut triads. Um, and the more she would talk about it, I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I can really uh, resonate with that. And when people, um, when various people in my life would talk about the Enneagram, they would say that typically if you found a number and you liked it, then it was probably not your number. And I didn't really understand what they were talking about until a good friend of mine who um, was really uh, well-versed in the Enneagram at the time, she started to describe twos and some of the unhealthy, um, like, uglier sides of that. And I heard, some of the first things she said really, like, struck me in the heart and was like, oh, no, no, that can't be me. That definitely can't be me. Um, so it was a really... I was in my early 20s at the time, but it was a it was a strong awakening to the fact that, like, oh my gosh, when people ask me how I'm doing, I don't know how to answer that question, you know, and stuff like that. Um, that that started the whole journey of like, oh man, there's a whole lot more to understanding myself uh, than just you know what what I know already. So that started a journey that a bunch of friends and I started all at the same time of getting into the Enneagram and yeah, it's been a long ride since then. I mean, it sounds like it was then, you know, you mentioned to me before we started recording that you all, you both met in, in Milwaukee and you decided to create this Instagram account, I'm assuming <laughs> called just my Enneatype, uh -huh. which, you know, I would love to hear how that came about because that must take a ton of time to create. I mean, just the beauty of each image, it's astounding. Not to mention all the thought and research that must go into the content of each piece. Like I'm constantly screenshotting and sharing different images of my own type or sending like descriptions of other types of friends. And I'm like, so you, you know, <laughs> um, and, and the response to this account has been huge. Like, so I was writing the notes for this episode and you were at 165,000 followers. And I checked right now and you're at 166 and I'm like, this crazy people are, and I know this is just a number, right? But to think of that many people in a stadium you know, it's kind of, I try to think of physical people, right? Like actual people, yeah. not as numbers, learning about the Enneagram because they want to, because they're opting in mm -hmm. to learn about the Enneagram from you. And it's astounding and a huge privilege, uh, of course. But like, how did that come to be? And so uh, Josh and I met at the church that I work at, which is called Eastbrook Church, and it's in Milwaukee. Um, and we met probably four years ago. And we discovered our shared love for the Enneagram at our friend Jesse's birthday party, where we uh, started typing people over a bonfire. And I think we... we nerding helped. out on Enneagram. Yes, we I were, love yeah. that. We were nerding out, yeah. And we started calling it our side hustle. We were like, oh, you know, we should just set up... We should just set up shop at like a coffee shop in, you know, the coffee culture is huge here in Milwaukee. So we're like, let's just set up a shop somewhere and, you know have people charge it or like charge people $10 or something to, to find out what their Enneagram type is. Like, like we were, type me. Yeah. I'll keep, I'll give you 10 bucks and type me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we were totally joking at the time. And then a couple of years later, I, I think I threw it out there to you, Josh, that we yes. should teach a class. Yes. Yeah, so I was like, Josh, let's teach a class on Sunday mornings at church, like a Sunday school class, except let's teach about the Enneagram. And Josh was like, Oh, I mean, yeah, maybe we could do that. So we started in 2018 um, 
probably in May or so prepping the content for our course. And we met weekly and we, I mean, we just put so much time and energy into that class and it started in September of 2018 and it was really successful. I mean, a bunch of people came and we were kind of thinking just our millennial friends would come, but it was actually like my parents' friends were coming to this class and, you know, people would stop in and it was great. So, Josh, you want yeah. to talk about the Instagram part of things? Yeah. So we, um, we, like Liz said, we had so much. The class was a way bigger success than we thought it was going to be. And there was a lot of people who came in knowing the Enneagram really well and also people who had no idea um, what their type was or anything like that. And so the feedback we got was just so positive at the end, the last week of class. There was a number of people that came up and told us, like, oh, you should take the show on the road. You should – uh, keep teaching somehow you should, you know, find a way to continue this. And so maybe like a week or so later, Liz and I got breakfast one morning and we just talked about, uh, next steps and the thought, uh, we had a bunch of different ideas floating out there, but one of them was making an Instagram account. Um, so we made one and, um, and can I just say that the name of our account was actually an inside joke. I was saying that there should be a dating service that type that like matched people based on their Enneagram type and that the dating service would be called just my Enneagram type. <laughs> somehow that's the name we landed on. Yep. And, and it just stuck. What we have today. Yep. I think it's a great name. Thank you. Yeah. It's a great name. <laughs> Thank <Yes>. you. <laughs> so that was in December when we, when we got breakfast and then it was about a week later, uh, December 23rd, we made our first post. Um, and then within like eight or nine days, we already had 2000 followers, which was crazy because we just thought that it would just be a bunch of our friends who would follow us, but it spread so fast and it was really crazy to see how that all happened. Cause we started just with a series on colors because that was one of the first things we decided for the class we taught. Liz was, Liz is a very big color person, you know, artist, graphic designer thing. And she wanted to assign a color to each number. And so that was one of the very first things we talked about for our class. And so it's fitting to do it for our first series. And then just to see how it grew from there so quickly, um, that all of a sudden it's like, dang, okay, we got a, we, we have a legit thing on our hands. So you have a legit thing on your hands. Yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> why are people so into the Enneagram now? Like I realized that I'm one of these people who a year ago didn't know about it. Yeah. Now I know about it and I find it so fascinating and it feels like trendy even, uh-huh. but it's been around for, you know, I, I think I, there's a lot of debate about when it, kind of was created but um you know there's some sources that say like the fourth century and mm-hmm. then other people say no the 19 uh, i think 1930s anyway it's been around a while um why why right now why is this blowing up man i'm not sure that i know the answer to that um but do you what do you think josh i think there is a huge need out there and a huge longing for people to uh, know and understand who they are. Um, and I think that some of the, some of the series that we do that are the most successful, like get the most shares and we see our follower accounts like go up the most is where people can, you know, take something and share it in their story and describe like who they are. Oh, this really resonates with me. Um, I think they, people love, being able to put words to parts of themselves that they were never able really to do that with before. Um, and I, I resonate with that experience too. I, you know, I learned so much about myself that I never, you know, would have thought I can look back on my life before discovering the Enneagram and see, Oh yeah, that's because I was, uh, that's because I'm a two and I just didn't know, uh, what that meant at the time. So I think that people, want to know themselves. They want to know other people. And the Enneagram is just a very, uh, in-depth, well, um, well thought out tool that describes, um, some of our core, like needs and longings and motivations and fears and desires more than a lot of other of these personality uh, typing systems do. And so people see it and they latch onto it because it's like language that they can use to describe 
parts of themselves that they were never able to describe before. That's just my two cents. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I remember thinking the first time I was reading about my type and it said something like, I find it difficult to watch movies because I hate watching people suffer. And I was like, (gasps) (laughs) oh, my God. I thought I was the weirdest person in the world because I never wanted to watch movies. Like, I can't watch Hotel Rwanda. Like, that is absolute torture to me because I will suffer so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Or any kind of movie. Like, even, like, romantic comedies. That dip when, like, they're happy, then they're sad, and they're happy again. I'm, like, on the floor, like, ripping my cuticles apart because I'm like, they're so sad. And I thought I was the only one, you know. Um, So that Uh that to me was very moving. But um, it's also, I mean, when you recently discovered your type, and I'm saying this as somebody new to it because both of you come from, you know, have longer histories with the Enneagram. To somebody relatively new to the Enneagram, when you recently discover your type, there can be some kind of like shame, right? Because a realization Mm -hmm. of the negative aspects of your type and the negative things that you may have been trying to ignore about yourself. um, And the Enneagram describes, you know, each type, you can be either unhealthy, average, or healthy. You know, how do you, I mean, I love your series, you know, and how do you recommend somebody kind of level up within their own type? You know, like what kind of resources would you recommend to someone who's saying, all right, I'm a two, but I'm maybe I'm an unhealthy two. And I, I really want to be a healthy, really healthy two because healthy twos, um, I'm just saying from my own experience, I know somebody in my own life who is an unhealthy two. And I personally am, you know, and this is maybe getting to another question. Can your type change? I think I want to ask that one first because <laughs> can it change? Is I feel that let's say I used to be a three. But I feel like now I'm a, t- a type two wing three, right? This is all my personal theories. Um, sure. So I'm like, oh, but I feel like a very average two now. I'm, I'm sorry, a very healthy two. For somebody who would want to level up from unhealthy or average to a healthy point in their type, what kind of resources do, would you recommend for them? Well, then before we talk about resources, let me just respond to, you know, can your type change? Yes, please. I'm so uh, curious. The, yeah, the traditional wisdom would be that, no, your type cannot change. Um, but I have a, I also have a story sort of like that, a personal story. So I'm, I'm definitely a five, and I have a very strong four-wing. And those two types are very different. Four-wing fives and five-wing fours are like on this island all by themselves, trying to figure life out and probably struggling. No, just kidding. Um, it's, it's beautiful because you have a, like some sort of connection to your head and some sort of connection to your heart. And, and so yeah, fours and fives, four with a five wing and fives with a four wing, I think are really unique. Um, the theory in my family is that, you know, perhaps as a, as a very small child, I was really four like, the stories that I hear, it sounds like I was like, it, maybe it wasn't so much a four wing, but I was actually a little bit more like a four. Mm -hmm. Um, but then just because of some things that happened in my life growing up in my adolescence in particular, um, I had to learn to be independent and I had to learn to take care of myself and I'm not bitter about it. And I'm not upset in any way, shape or form, but I definitely see that at a certain point that five really took over and five is what I learned how to do. And five, what I have been, how I've been functioning ever since then. And I like being a five with a four wing, but I think so, so to say it that way, I mean, so much of the Enneagram is what we learn in childhood is it's learning. It's learning ways of being in the world and learning ways of being in relationships. And I think that the way forward and I'm, I'm not sure, maybe Josh will have some, some more specific resources, but I think the way forward when you are first identifying what your type is, probably for a while, is not to jump to the like graduate level course, but maybe for a while it's just to observe yourself, just to sit uh-huh. with just to listen to yourself, maybe talk to people around you, and really get to know yourself now with this new with this new label, with this new framework, with this new understanding of yourself. But I think eventually the work has to look like unlearning. So for me, the five, what that means is unlearning some of those independent behaviors, unlearning that I 
you know, the, the lie that I'm telling myself all the time is that nobody should see how I feel. Nobody should know what I'm thinking. Nobody, <laughs> I don't need anyone's help. It's a very isolating, very, um, you know, at its best, it's independent and at, at its worst, it's isolating. And so for me as a five, I need to actively unlearn those things. What would you say, Josh? Yeah, I like the advice of just sitting and observing for a while because there may be, there's lots of us that are our gut impulse when we learn some of these like really jarring things about ourselves is to jump to conclusions and try to fix things right away, which is, I mean, in one sense it's good, right? Because you want to see yourself be more healthy be more well. But <clears throat> something that we talk about at times is like, there's this phrase in Latin that says like from thorns to stars, it's basically saying like, you can't go around it. You have to go through it. And, um, the, so the hard thing about that is that you are going to have to deal with some really uncomfortable, hard things about yourself that you don't really want to deal with. But, um, I think you have to, in order to grow, we must become very well acquainted with those darker, uglier, um, more unhealthy sides to us so that you can. Um, yeah, just familiarize yourself with it and see your, those behaviors for what they are. Um, yeah, I think just being able to see, I mean, I think people say this, you know, an example is like for ones that being able just to identify like what is your inner critic speaking and what is actually true. Right. So they, uh, that's one of the first steps for ones is just be able to identify, okay, that is just my inner critic. Um, and I think something, um, advice I was given as a two is to, you know, look back on behaviors, whether it was like a long time ago or a situation that maybe went wrong, or maybe just looking back at your, like your past week or your past month and asking yourself the question, like, when did I step in when I didn't need to step in? When did I offer my help when I didn't need to? When did I uh, say yes to something when I should have said no? Um, and the quicker you're able to recognize that, um, in retrospect, um, sooner, sooner you'll be able to like recognize it in the present moment. Um, so I think just becoming very well acquainted with those parts of yourself is the first step really. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting what you said about, um, you know, for me, when, when did you step in? Cause I'm also a two is, you know, it's weird that I, for me, when I was saying about kind of like transforming a little bit, um, I feel like motherhood really changed me and made me Mm-hmm. maybe either lean more into the two or I was a two and let go a little bit of the three wing. I'm not sure I'm between those two, but, um, definitely that's when the transformation or the, the real change in me happened. But at the same time, I'm a person who loves my boundaries. Like I am a boundary queen. And so, um, it's really easy for me to stay on the healthier side of two because I maintain very strong boundaries as even as a child, like this is not something that I learned. This is something that just came with like, I, it's very diff. It's very easy for me to say, I need this. But then again, I am very strong in the, I want to help. It's very strange. Um, but are you, are you a self-preservation too? Is that your instinct? Your dominant instinct? Actually, Have you looked into that at no, all? No, because when I was looking at your series, um, I was like, I think I'm a social too. <laughs> so you don't know how oh, many, okay. how long I've spent looking at the social and intimate two series. I love your mm-hmm. series, by the way. Honestly, like if I could clap for you right now, but I'm holding a microphone in one hand, I would. <laughs> um, they're great, and and I think that they're so they're so helpful. Um, so I just wanted to say that. Take a moment to say. Thank you. It has been, it's so good. Um, and, and the artwork and the content, I don't know how you guys do it. So on point, but, um, <laughs> no, you're, thank you. But yeah, I think I'm between, um, social two, which it says, according to you, that likely mistypes as a three as the achiever. But, um, yeah, I find it, I just find that understanding, you know, I was, I was just on a family trip and as you know, family trips, they can get complex. And we were talking about, I was talking about the Enneagram with somebody who had never heard about it before. So I showed them your account, of course, (laughs) 
and we were talking and talking and we were typing somebody like, oh, you know, um, a seven. And they're like, oh, you know, like the Lego song, everything is awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yes, like that person is that song. And, um, it's so fun, but at the same time, I, I board, I try not to judge because, I remember when I first learned about the Enneagram and I was going through your series for the first time. My first instinct was to realize who were eights in my life and I'm afraid of them. Like, mm. I am afraid of eights. Not afraid like actual fear, but a f fear of letting them too close because they hurt. Mm. Um, and so there can be, at least for me personally, um, kind of a, a tendency to type somebody in a judgmental way. And like I see in your, in your series, there's so many different facets to each number, right? To each type. There's so many, um, positives, negatives. And I don't know if you have the same experience, but there's sometimes where I'm like, I wish I was a X number. Like, I wish I was another type that, that seems like the best type. The best type is the, this number, they seem always happy and, and no problems and whatever, but that's just not true. Right. Um, just like for me, I'm like the eights. I can't like, they scare me. This is exactly why we had to create a hashtag, which is eights are not scary. They scare <laughs> because me. I, I, yeah. They show up in the world with so much energy and like with a really big presence. And they, even if they're loving you, they are loving you with intensity and it is a lot, but a lot is very different than scary. I think one of my best friends is an eight and she's a, she's a female eight. And, um, and I think having her in my life really changed my perspective on eights because I am in her inner circle and I feel really honored to be in her inner circle, but I see what it's like when people are not in her inner circle. And so I, I think, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about eights, but there's misunderstandings about all of our types. Oh yeah. They're seen as like standoffish and rude and like, no, we're just in our own little world. You know, we're in our heads right now. <laughs> no. And okay. So let's, let's do the eight thing. What about somebody who has a conflict with an eight or a misunderstanding with an eight? I think maybe that's where sure. the misunderstanding, the, the, the fear comes in because that can be kind of an intimidating experience. Not all eights, not speaking for all, <laughs> but, um, in my experience, it's kind of, intense. It's very intense. Yeah. And I mean, even, even my friend who is an eight, who is, inc I'm incredibly close to, um, if there's conflict between us, I've learned that I have to like raise my voice, which I don't normally raise my voice. Um, but I have to match her in that intensity in order for us to be able to communicate better. And at first I sort of felt like, oh, I don't like this. Like, I don't like that. I have to sort of put on a different version of myself just to communicate with you. But I think what I've started to sort of reframe that as, because it's been so healthy to match her intensity and to actually work out conflict in a really direct and truthful way. And I think that's what probably eights would tell you if they were here right now, they want directness and they want truthfulness. They don't want you to beat around the bush. They want you to go right to the point. And so I think to reframe some of those conflicts, um, like practices that I've learned as just tactics. You know, we have tactics in every aspect of our lives. And so my tactic for dealing with conflict with an eight is to raise my voice and to and to yeah, to come to come out strong and very direct and very clear with no no niceties. They don't care about the niceties. They just want me to say what it is that's that's clearest. Okay. The thing is with eights is that they feel really loved actually when you match their intensity. Um, and they would not want, and they would not feel loved if you were to like cower away and not, um, engage with them. If you have legitimate, you know, uh, stuff that you need to work through with them because they are naturally very intense people who, um, an eight I know says that they most of the time are just turning down the volume, um, so that, uh, you know, using their inside voices, if you will, um, for everybody else. So when they are, um, you know, they're naturally really intense people. So when they are expressing something, it can come across as really angry and maybe some, maybe they are, but maybe they're not. Um, a lot of times it's just how, uh, they express themselves 
and that's how they're received as like mean or intense or angry or something. Um, I think one other thing um, that's noteworthy about apes in this way is that when, if they are really angry at you, it's not something they dwell on. Like they say it, they talk it out, they get it out and then it's over. It's done. Um, and you, you move on to the next thing. Um, and it's not something that, you know, they're going to like hate you forever because, you know, because of whatever you did. Like Josh, in the past, you've called it the, the emotions of an eight, a flash in the pan. And yes. then the emotions of a four, a crock pot. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I forgot about that. Yes. That is, that is how it is. That makes a lot of sense. What are some other misconceptions that you've kind of, I mean, with so many people following your account and getting so much feedback from people, because I've seen even that you recently posted, like, please, everyone wait your turn. We're posting one a day. You're going to have to wait because like I check it. I'm like, there's three days left. So two, there's three days left. Um, and I also selfishly check my number and for my husband's, yeah. right? Because um, that's just kind of what I'm, I do the most research on right now. But uh, anyway, so what are, you know, getting so much feedback from people on your account, what are other common misconceptions that you've come across? So like you had to create a hashtag for the eight. <laughs> um, what, what else have you seen as a common theme that is just, not, yeah, misconception, something that, it, you know, maybe misconstrued about a certain type. I think what comes to mind first is sevens, um, that, so sevens are probably my favorite type. Sadly, as a five. Everything is awesome. <laughs> exactly. I can't. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it, you know? Yep, that's an earworm. Yeah, so I love seven. If um, you want to use it for a series, you're more than welcome. Okay. Even though you, I know you already did a mixtape <laughs> one. I'll, I'll keep thinking that. for other ones. No, no credit needed. You can okay, have it. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I think sevens are really fun. I grew up with a lot of sevens in my family, and um, I've found that the people I tend to gravitate towards even in life. And, you know, some of my closest friends are sevens. I just really love sevens. Um, and so spending a lot of time around sevens, I think, especially as a five, they kind of draw me out of my shell. I could stay at home all the time and I know that's not good for me. So it's good to have sevens in my life who, who are, who want to go on spontaneous road trips with me and then actually make me go on the spontaneous road trips that I've come up with. But sevens really, they get a lot of, um, I think that, that people don't really understand them very well. I, I have a theory that they're probably one of the most intelligent types as a whole. And I, I think it's because they're just, I mean, they're head types, they're living their lives in their heads. They are taking in so much information at all times. They are extroverted in the world. I'm not saying that they are all each individually extroverted, but their presence is very extroverted in the world. They are just sponges soaking up so much. And then they have so much energy that they can just wring all of the stuff they've soaked up out and keep on moving in the world. So I think sevens, um, we see them as what they do for us. And I think this is where a lot of the misconceptions of each type show up. You know, we see eights as scary because they intimidate us. We see sevens as the life of the party because they make life more fun for us. But they are so much more than that. And they really love to, you know, sit down and have deep, deep philosophical conversations. I mean, most most of the sevens that I know are very interested in philosophy, sociology, theology. Um, they really are very brilliant. They're not just the life of the party. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think there could be, there's there not could be, there are misconceptions about every single type on the Enneagram. And we've seen that come up in various ways for each type. But um, the one that is uh, coming to mind most clearly right now is uh, the sixes. There's a lot of misconceptions about them. Um, and some of the sixes that I know in my life have a hard time resonating with a lot of six stuff in whether it's in books or podcasts or other Instagram accounts or whatever, because they can be painted as, um, people who are just sort of scaredy cats and like always afraid of something. And that's just the, the thing that is always, um, motivating them. And while fear is the thing for sixes, right. The thing that's always going to you know be a struggle for them. I think there's a lot of the healthier side of sixes, um, 
that either gets like really overly simplified or ignored altogether other than just like, Oh yeah, they're really prepared in case of an emergency. And I mean, they are right. We, we, we love having sixes. Um, like, you know, if you go on vacation and you forget to bring something, you know, the six probably has it, but, um, uh, there also is a lot of, um, like this, the side of how they're really strong and resilient people and how they're, um, so protective. Um, there's a few things better than like being loved and taken care of by a six or like being in a six's corner, because if someone comes after you, like they will hunt you down, you know? Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. I have one of my good friends, uh, Rachel, who is a six, like she is oftentimes like surrounded a lot by like people who are like really loud and strong and aggressive, like lots of like eights and ones and people who are, can be much more vocal and combative and no one really bats an eye at that. But if she ever gets mad for any reason, everyone's like, Oh shoot, we've done messed up. We're really scared right now. (laughs) Just because sixes, they like, they have this strong, like fierceness that, um, is looked over a lot of the time and they're just seen, um, as much more, I don't know, timid and afraid than that. But, uh, I think that there's a lot of, um, the really strong, powerful, redemptive side of sixes that's not there a lot. And so a lot of people who are sixes or, you know, don't know sixes can see it maybe as like, you know, the quote unquote worst number, which isn't true. There is no worst number. It's not a thing. And it's definitely not sixes, you know? So, um, that's one of the bigger misconceptions that I find myself coming across. That's really interesting. And, and I'm sure, like you said, that there's misconceptions about all the types. Now, oh, yeah, absolutely. Being, being, you know, respectful of your time. I have, if I, if I can, one more question. Of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you wish people knew about the Enneagram? Something that is, you know, that, that you don't get a lot from people that they're always shocked what do you wish people knew about the Enneagram as a system, as a framework? I wish that people um, maybe understood its history a little bit more. The history is complicated and messy, and um, and it is a little hard hard to uncover. But at its core, I think something that everyone can agree on is that the Enneagram was never really intended to be a framework for people to um, type each other. It was really supposed to be something for, for people in their individual lives to do their own work. And I think, I mean, we all slip and fall into the habit of typing other people. It's really hard not to, especially once you geek out on it and you learn all about it and you just start to see, oh my gosh, my coworker is totally a three or, you know, like that person is a nine. Um, it's really hard to not do that. But I think, at the end of the day, it's it's a tool that each of us can choose to use to grow, and that's when it's going to be the most helpful. It's not helpful for me to sit here and tell Josh how he needs to do all of this work as a two and how I see him doing this and I see him doing that. Like, that's not actually helpful, and I doubt he's going to respond very well to it. But for me to do my own work as a five is actually probably going to allow him to flourish more even as a two. Mm, that's good. That would be my my thought. That's really good. That's really good. I would definitely agree with that. Um, I would add one thing I would add would be that the Enneagram is not everything. It will not tell you everything about who you are. Very good. I think we get a lot of people who, um, not in, uh, who get very, uh, like confused or worked up about how, the Enneagram doesn't explain like every single last <clears throat> detail about them. Um, and it's not just fours, right. Who love to be understood. Um, and like, you know, to understand others, it's like all types are like, Oh, maybe this is because I'm a, you know, a self pres like five with a six wing that it describes this. So maybe that's why I don't relate to this thing that you're saying there when it's like really, you know, the Enneagram does describe a lot and it really is really helpful. Um, and describing some of your core, you know, desires, motivations, fears, et cetera. But it's not going to tell you everything about who you are. It's not like, it's just, it is a tool. Ultimately it's a tool. It's not, you know, the secret code to, you know, living life. (laughs) So I think that that's the biggest thing I would add to what Liz already said is that it's not everything. Both very, very good points. And I'm curious, you know, you're just my Enneatype on Instagram is like I said, doing, 
crazily well. Uh, congratulations and thank you for that. Um, I have two days. I think today was six. I was traveling today, so it just popped up in my feed, but I didn't get to read it. But I think today's six, so I have a few more days till I'm up. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. You know, you're selling prints and stuff on on the on everything that you're putting out. What is next for your account for your project? Oh man. I mean, at this point, I'm kind of hoping we just make it through the summer. Yes. <laughs> Josh is yeah, traveling yeah. quite a bit, so I'll be taking over in July. And we have a couple more collaborations coming up that I'm pretty excited about. Um, some content we wrote a while ago is getting beautifully lettered by a woman in California. And a, an artist friend of ours here is working on something sort of comic booky, which I think people will really resonate with. That's awesome. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to all of that. And no, you have to make it through the summer because I'm going to have an issue <laughs> yes. if you don't. <laughs> um, and I'm going to steal one more minute of your time. What, what would you recommend for somebody new to the Enneagram? You know, I will link to your account um, in the show notes. And, what you know, is there a book? Is there something that you would recommend somebody to start off with? So I think to start, um, okay, so this is, this is me as a five now, cause I'm going to give you something that's not to start, but I think you should read it. So the book, um, the Enneagram from a Christian perspective, which is by Richard Rohr, I think is just the best book on the Enneagram. Now, if you are not a Christian and you are listening to this, you will still find it to be incredibly valuable. Um, just know that there's some like mention of biblical characters and things like that in the book, but by far that is I think the best Enneagram book I've ever read. I have underlined pretty much every word in there. So it is not, it's a little bit heavier than a, a beginner book, but if you love the Enneagram and you're just finding out about it, there's no better place to start than that. That's mm -hmm. awesome. I love his newsletter, even uh, though I have to say amazing. like, I need, I need five minutes to yeah. like sit <laughs> and read it and, and, and maybe reread it because yeah. it's so dense it. and good. I'm like, I'm like, I don't have the brain space for this today. Like I have to yeah. do it some days, but yeah. So he's I'm like, I'll let like three accumulate because I'll, you know, my kids are out of the house. And I'm like, now I can sit and bask in the glory of the conscious love. This was this past week, um, but I love it. So yeah, definitely. I'm going to check out that book. Thank that you. That book is phenomenal. Yeah. What would you recommend, Josh? Oh man. Um, there's so much, there's books, there's podcasts, there's like, you know, people you can follow on Instagram. Um, Oh man, I think uh, the road back to you um, by Ian Cron okay. and Suzanne Stabile is very, very accessible. So like if uh, Richard Rohr is like a really, you know, dense, like five course meal, like uh, the, um, the road back to you is a book that would sort of, um, you know, get your appetite started uh, that um, it's meant to be just sort of like a primer for um, all things like knowledge of the Enneagram. They don't go super, super deep, but it is really helpful and really accessible um with lots of real life stories so i would i would recommend that book awesome all right well thank you so much and we went over our time so i apologize <laughs> but thank you um i will i will link everything that we talked about in the show notes so people can check it out and if you have any other books type five over there if you want to send me um, i'll link them <laughs> as well so that everybody can uh, you know kind of pick and choose what they're up for. So thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. This has been a lot of fun. All right. That was Josh Green and Liz Carver of the Instagram account, Just My NEA Type. That was an amazing interview. I had so much fun talking to them. As you could tell, I had so many questions about the Enneagram and they were such good sports with me because clearly they've been at this for years. So I really recommend their Instagram account, Just My Enneatype, and the books that they mentioned. Now, if you want to get the links to those books, just hit up kinpodcast.com slash 25, and I will link to all of it. Their Instagram, the books, the whole shebang, so you can check out the books that I've already read, the ones that they're recommending that I already purchased one today, and I'm excited to crack open. So check out kinpodcast.com slash 25. I really hope you enjoyed this Enneagram 101 and interview with Josh and Liz. 
Like I said before, the Enneagram has kind of changed the way that I view myself and view other people, my husband, my family, friends, etc. And it's helped me to know how to interact better, interact not just with them, but with the world, bring myself to the healthiest place possible and kind of be the best two that I can be. So I hope you're interested in the Enneagram. If you are, there's the Enneagram Institute that you can visit, and there's a lot of ton of other resources, including the ones that Josh and Liz mentioned. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening to over one hour of me nerding out on the Enneagram with Josh and Liz. And if you have any questions about the Enneagram, just head on over to Just My Enneatype so you can check out their Instagram account or Kin the podcast on Instagram, and we can hang and figure out how to answer your questions. So thank you so much for listening. As always, thank you to my friend Mario Callejas for providing the music for the show. He is Mario Callejas on Spotify. He's amazing. Check him out. And to his super cool wife, Tate, for doing the intro to the podcast. You're the best, Tate. Thank you all for listening. It blows my mind that people still, you know, tune into this podcast and listen to my ramblings, but I am here for it. And I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much. In case you can hear it, I apologize for my children's laughter in the background. I should go because soon that laughter is going to turn into tears. And that's what happens when you're a mommy podcaster. It's real life. It's real life. But before I go, I just wanted to ask you one quick thing. If you're interested in the Kin Podcast and listening to more episodes, you can visit kinpodcast.com or visit Kin the Podcast on Instagram. And we can hang. Again, got to go. Thank you so much for being here. This is Marcela, your host, signing out.